You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Um, I'm going to take you to a story today that Jesus told. It's a very famous story, but don't let that lull you into a, oh, nice Sunday, I know this story. Okay, if anyone's seen the movie A Monster Calls, um, it's a kid's movie, so if you've got kids, you might have seen it. If you've got a grown-up and you, if you're a grown-up and you watched it, what were you doing? Um, but there's a, a little phrase in there. It says, stories are wild creatures. When you let them loose, who knows what havoc they will wreak. Okay, and Jesus' stories were always like that. They're a bit like a TARDIS. They're a tiny little story, a few verses. But once you get inside it, it's just, oh my word, it's enormous and full of adventure. And the story, we're just going to look at a few verses today of a story that Jesus told, but there's power in these. Do you believe that? The Bible is alive, there's power, and even actually in preparing, I think, I have a sense of the power of God in this story for us today. I really felt to bring this, and uh, I don't know what havoc it might wreak, (laughs) but the prayer that we pray as Christians when we come to read the Bible is, Lord, here I am. I open myself up to you. Come, Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do. That's quite a scary prayer, yeah? We had the sister on her feet a minute ago saying, God is saying, who will go? Come on, let's go. And you think, who knows what the Holy Spirit might whisper into your heart? So do you want to pray that prayer with me right now? And then we'll look at the Bible. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Let this story be a wild creature to us today. Uh, Come and get hold of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just feel there's someone here today, you have pain. I think you might be sitting in this section. You've got pain in your jaw here. It might be tooth pain in, in the back there, but there's like a strong pain in your jaw. I'd love to pray for you at the end of the meeting. I feel that the Lord wants to uh, bring a healing to you. I, I feel there's someone else here today. Um, what I saw was like a, a crack going down your chest, and I felt that you've got a broken heart. You've come in today, and you think, my heart is broken. I'm really hurting, and you're really worried that it's going to get infected. You don't want to become a bitter person, and you keep kind of coming to the Lord and having him wash your heart because you don't want to end up with bitterness. But I, the pain is very real, and the break is very real. And whoever you are, I feel that the Lord really wants to speak to you today through the preaching, uh, but also it would be great to be able to pray for you at the end. Is that okay? Um, great. Okay, so uh, the story we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 10. And it's uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. And before you go, oh, we know that story, there's some surprises, okay? You need to be prepared for that. Um, Often when we come to this story, we can come thinking, oh, this story is about someone gets beaten up and it's about going and helping people. So this is a story about telling us that we should go out and take responsibility for go and help people. And you think, yeah, it is partly that. It's partly a story about taking responsibility, which is why I wanted to call this morning's talk Taking Responsibility. It is about that. But the danger is, as British people, what British people often do, okay, is when they read a story in the Bible, they put themselves in the position of the most powerful character. Oh, someone is hurting and poor and broken. Let's go and help them. Yeah, that's colonialism. 
And the danger for British people is exactly that, oh, I'm educated and powerful and I have all the answers and I've got Jesus uh, and someone down there is suffering, how can I go and help them? Okay? And the challenge is, maybe you are that character in the story. Maybe you're the saver or maybe you're the savee. Maybe you're a person that's been beaten up by life and stripped and had everything taken away from you and you're lying in a pool of your own blood thinking, can someone please have mercy on me? The world is against me. Life is against me. The system is against me. And the the challenge with a story like this is you might start out thinking I'm the saver but actually end up realizing that you're the savee. And the Bible's often like that. So the book of Jonah. Is the book of Jonah about God saving Nineveh or is it about God saving Jonah? It's a bit of both. You know, I went to Turkey thinking, ah, here I come. I'm, I'm the English person. I've got all the answers for all the poor Turkish people. And actually what happens is we realize, man, we've just been beaten up. We're full of pain, full of mess. Life has been brutal to us. And we just need someone to come and have mercy on us. Yeah, my wife's been sick in bed for over a year now. I have two boys on the autistic spectrum. The last few years have been incredibly hard for us. Life just seems to have gone boom, boom, boom. And we've actually, we've jumped out and we're having a little break in the UK at the moment and just sitting here going, man, what do we do next? What, do, we, do we go back to Turkey? Do we do something else? So I'm sitting here unemployed going, oh man, like, yeah? So often you start out going, hey, I'm the saver and you end up realizing, man, I just need somebody to save me. And so here we go with this story. And um, it starts in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. A lawyer stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, the question is completely wrong, because you can't do to inherit. Yeah, what do I do to inherit the throne from the queen? Nothing I can do. I've got to be her son. Yeah, so inheriting is not about doing, it's about being. But the problem is sometimes when we read this story, we think, oh, this story is about doing. Let's do mission, let's do compassion, let's do serving the poor. Whereas actually this story isn't about doing, this story is about being. It's who are you? That's, this story is more about our attitude than our actions, actually. Okay? And so verse 26, Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, lovely answer, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. I went to Jesus' school and I know all the right answers. And Jesus said, yeah, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Um, But he said, desiring to justify himself to Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? So his question is about responsibility. It's about boundaries, yeah? Who do I, who, as a Christian living in Ealing in the 21st century, who do I have to be responsible for? I've got responsibility for my family, my kids, my wife, my my uncles, my aunt, you know, I've got to take some responsibility. I've got some responsibility in the church, maybe the people in my life group. But may- beyond that, who, who should I take responsibility for? Where does it stop? And what he really wants to know is, who am I not responsible for? Who do I not have to love? Muslims, do I have to love them? Do I have to take responsibility for them? People on the street people that are newly arrived in the UK and disorientated and don't know what to do, are they my responsibility? So this is the question that the guy's asking. Yeah, who is my neighbor? And so answer, Jesus does what he always does, tells a story, 
leaves the guy more confused at the end than at the beginning, and that's probably what will happen to us as we go. So, verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So this road is 17 miles through the desert from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's notorious for bandits. All the historians that you read that went on this road got attacked or beaten up. It's a very dangerous road. Why was he on his own? Silly guy. Okay? And then it says some bandits came, and they, there's two important words here. They stripped him, they took his clothes off, and they left him half dead. Okay? And then they robbed everything from him and left him alone. Next verse. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So you're supposed to think, oh, good news. Here comes a priest coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The priests, a lot of priests lived in Jericho. They would go up to Jerusalem for their two-week shift working in the temple and work there for two weeks. And then at the end of that time, with his salary, which was all the tithes and offerings that he's received, so all the kind of barley and maybe clothes, a few live chickens, yeah, all the kind of tithes and offerings that he's got during that two weeks. He's coming off shift, and he's heading home to Jericho. He's got a donkey, because priests were rich in those days, and he's carrying all this stuff, and he's riding a donkey. Rich people in the Middle East, they don't walk. They ride, okay? So he's riding a donkey, he's got all this stuff with him, and he's going home. He wants to get home to his family, to give them the food and the stuff that he's got, and he hasn't seen them for two weeks, okay? He comes along, and he sees this guy naked and lying in the road, not sure if he's dead or not. And the priest thinks to himself, do I help him or don't I? Do I have a responsibility towards him or don't I? Okay, now the priest has four dilemmas, four things going on in his head. The first is this. He knew that if it's a Jewish man that's been beaten up, as a Jewish priest, he has responsibility. He's a shepherd of Israel. If it's a Jewish guy that's hurting there, he needs to help him. But because he's naked, you can't tell where he's from. Because in those days, you can tell by people's clothes which country they come from. Okay, it's like in the 18th century. If you saw someone with a stripy shirt and onions around his neck and a beret, you would think, hey, there you go. So he sees this guy, and because he's naked, he can't work out, is he Jewish or not? And therefore, do I have a responsibility towards him or not? And he's not sure. So then he thinks, well, if I poke him, and he wakes up and talks, maybe I'll be able to tell from his accent where he's from, and then I could decide whether to help him or not. Okay. But then he realizes he looks dead. Now, for a priest, a priest can't touch a dead person. If you read Leviticus, it, he's ritually unclean. A, a priest can't touch If I touch him, I'm going to be defiled if he's dead. And then, what will I do if I'm defiled? I can't go home to my family with all this food to distribute it because it will all be unclean. I'll have to go back to Jerusalem, go through a cleansing ceremony in the temple, which is very shameful and will last another two weeks, and only then will I be able to go home to my family. So there's a risk involved, yeah? It's a risk. Because if he's dead and I touch him, I'm going to be defiled. In fact, you weren't allowed two meters close to a dead person or you get defiled. 
That's why the priest crosses to the other side of the road. I don't know how wide the road was, but he thinks, I just don't want to be in the circumference of this person who might make me unclean. So the first issue that we saw was about boundaries. Yeah, am I responsible or am I not for this person? The second issue that the priest has going on in his head is about personal risk. What if I help him and he is unclean, then I'll be defiled. Am I prepared to take that risk or not? The third issue going on in the priest's head was actually this. The only way of helping him is if I put him on my donkey and carry him somewhere. Now, if I put him on my donkey, that means I've got to get off my donkey. It's the donkey dilemma. Because he's saying, if I get off my donkey, I've got to walk. That's a big sacrifice for me. Or maybe I'd have to take some of my stuff off my donkey and leave it there to put this guy on. So there's a sacrifice issue here. Is he prepared to pay the price to help this guy? And then the fourth issue that he's got going on in his head is a suspicion thing. Maybe he's faking. Maybe it's a trap. Maybe if I try and help him, he's going to beat me up. Maybe the other guys are still hiding around here, ready to ambush me if I get off my donkey to help him, yeah? So in Turkey, we have a proverb, from mercy comes abuse. If you help someone, maybe they'll take advantage of you. So the priest is all tied up in his head. He's got these four issues going on. Boundaries, personal risk, sacrifice, and suspicion. And so he passes by on the other side, and he doesn't help the man. Next comes a Levite. Next verse. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, Levites didn't have the same purity rules as priests. Okay, so the the Levite won't necessarily be as defiled if he touches this guy. He could help him, but he doesn't have a donkey. But he could at least administer first aid Show some compassion. Ask if the guy's okay. See if he's alive, yeah? He could do something. Why doesn't he help him? Well, probably from far away, he's seen the priest not help the guy, or he knows that the priest is traveling on this road. They're probably both coming off shift in the temple together, okay? The priest hasn't helped this guy, and the Levite thinks, who am I? If the priest didn't help him, why should I help him? I don't want to embarrass the priest Imagine we turn up at the other end and I've helped the guy and the priest hasn't. I've made the priest look bad. And so there's a kind of a respect issue here, but it's actually an initiative issue. And sometimes we can be like that. We can think, well, if the leaders aren't doing it, maybe it's not important. No, but maybe God's calling you to do it. And so sometimes helping people is actually about courage and initiative and doing something different. And this is really difficult. Einstein said this. Few people are capable of expressing opinions which differ from the prejudices of their social environment. Most people are even incapable of forming such opinions. Yeah, so if everyone thinks this way, then most of us think this way too. Most people don't go, oh, let's do something over here. That's what Einstein's saying. He was a bit of an intellectual snob, so we might not agree with him. But the The point is this, the Levite could have done something, but he thought, oh, I'm only a sheep. If the priest didn't do it, I'm not going to do it. So he passes on the other side. And then we come to the next verse. Now, in Jesus' parables, the the punchline, the, the dramatic shock verse is always right in the middle. 
That's the way Jesus told stories. So you've kind of got a normal beginning and then a punchline. And then the second half is usually fixing the problem from the first half of the parable. Okay? And so normally in a, in a, in a Jewish story, if you've got a priest and then a Levite, everyone would then expect an ordinary Jew. That's how they told their stories. It's like if we tell a story and we go, oh, there was an Englishman and an Irishman and a Scottishman. If I said there was an Englishman and an Irishman and a Somali, you'd all go, what? That's not the right story. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. It's supposed to be the priest came, he didn't help. The Levite came, he didn't help. But then an ordinary Jew came. He was the hero of the story and he helped and shamed the priest. That's what's supposed to happen. But Jesus goes, and then along the road came a Samaritan. And the whole crowd goes, because Jews for 800 years hate Samaritans. Hate them. They're dirty. They thought they were, they were kind of half-breed mongrels. They weren't even proper pagans. They were more like backslidden Jews. They were like a cult. Yeah, and so people looked at them and they were just like, ugh, Samaritans. And so as soon as Jesus says, along came a Samaritan, the crowd are going to go, oh, what's he doing in our story? This was our story. Get him out. We want a nice, clean story, Jesus. And also they're going to go, what's he doing on that road? Was he lost? Even from Jerusalem to go to Samaria, you go north. This road goes southeast. So what's... What, What's he doing on that road? It's very suspicious. Is he a spy? You know, just kind of, what's he doing there? And also in this verse, Jesus then says, and the Samaritan saw him and he had compassion. Now, the word that Jesus uses for compassion here, it, it, it actually means his, his insides, his stomach churned with feeling. And when you read this word in Luke, it's always only ever used of God. God had compassion. So suddenly, not only have you got a Samaritan in our nice story, but he is feeling the feelings of God. And you think, that doesn't seem right. That would be like if I said to you, uh, there was a beaten up guy and a Catholic priest passed by on the other side. And then an Anglican vicar passed by on the other side. And we'd be thinking, and then along came a Pentecostal pastor and he was the hero. And instead I say, and then a Pakistani imam from the mosque came along. And he had the feelings of God and he was the hero. Suddenly you think, you can't say that. That's exactly what Jesus is doing in this story. It's shocking. You know, in Istanbul, when my wife was sick, our Muslim neighbors were better at looking after us than our Christian friends. And you think, can Muslims be like that? Yeah, they can. There's some wonderful people. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to turn people's brains upside down here. So this verse is the shock verse, yes? Yeah? Suddenly, everyone's like, what's happening in this story? This doesn't seem right. What's going to happen next? And the, the Samaritan, verse 34, he went to him. Everyone else passed by. The Samaritan goes to him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. So the Samaritan is going to undo all of the problems in the story one by one. 
The Levite didn't administer first aid. The Samaritan administers first aid. He tears his own clothes. He's not going to carry bandages with him. He tears his own robe, ties up the guy's wounds, pours on oil and wine, which is an act of worship. In temple worship, you pour oil and wine. And so the prophets always said, hey, your worship shouldn't just be singing songs. It should be pouring mercy on people. That's what he's doing here. He's showing true worship. Oil and wine are expensive. So the Levite didn't take initiative or administer first aid. The Samaritan does. Then he puts him on his donkey. What does that mean? He gets off his own donkey, puts the guy on, walks in front of the donkey like a servant, like a slave, carrying this guy to an inn. So what the priest wouldn't do, he does. Gets off, takes the position of a servant, puts this guy onto his donkey and carries him. It's sacrificial, it's substitution. And then he goes to an inn. Now, they didn't have any inns on the road in the middle of the desert. The inn is going to be in Jericho. So he goes into this town that's very Jewish nationalistic town where they would hate Samaritans. And imagine you're a, you're a Samaritan and you're walking in. Everyone can tell from your clothes that you're a Samaritan. You've got a beaten up Jewish guy on your donkey and you walk into this kind of right wing Jewish neighborhood. What are people going to think? It's dangerous, yeah? It's dangerous for this guy. He's taking a risk. So he does all the things the priest wouldn't do. He crosses a boundary. He takes a risk. He makes a sacrifice. And he turns suspicion onto himself. Verse 35, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. So he stays the night looking after this guy. He leaves in the morning. He pays the innkeeper. Normally, uh, uh, one night at an inn would be one-twelfth of a denarius. He pays him two denarii. That's like a month's worth of lodging money. It's extremely generous. And so the Samaritan has reversed all of the wrongs done in this story, yeah? So the Levite didn't administer first aid. The Samaritan did. The priest didn't put him on the donkey. The Samaritan did. And the thieves took his money and left him alone. The Samaritan gives money and stays with him and says, I'm coming back. So the way the story is told, the first section is all the things that have been done wrong to the guy. And the second section is the Samaritan putting all of them right. Not just the robbers beating him up, but the problem that was created by irresponsible religious people who didn't take responsibility. Did the Samaritan get out of Jericho alive at the end of the story? We don't know. Jesus never finishes his stories properly. He leaves suspense. Maybe he got killed. Maybe he got out alive. Verse 36. Then Jesus turns back to the lawyer and says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he can't even say the word Samaritan. He's so prejudiced. The one who showed him mercy. That one. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. And so, Matthew Henry, the commentator, says this. We were like this poor, distressed traveler. The law of Moses, the priest, passes by on the other side as having neither pity nor power to help us. The law can't save us. But then comes blessed Jesus, that good Samaritan, and he has compassion on us. So we're going to look quickly at what does this story teach us? Because mostly as 
Westerners, uh, you can hear a story, but then you need to be given a nice list of points to actually learn something. A lot of the non-Westerners in the room have already learned what God wants to tell us today from the story. So for the whiteies, here's a list. Okay? And then we're going to ask the question, who are you in this story today? And then we're going to pray. Okay? So what is Jesus teaching us from this story? Number one, this story is really the story of mankind. It's our story. In lots of places, Jesus talks about uh, the devil as being like a robber or a thief. So mankind are those that have been beaten up and left bleeding and naked on the road. And we need someone to come and have mercy on us, someone to come and rescue. That's your story. It's my story. We're not necessarily the powerful person in the story. We're the beaten up one, and we need Jesus, our good Samaritan, to come and rescue us. Amen? We need someone to pick us up and clean our wounds and put us on the donkey and carry us to safety and be generous and compassionate and gracious to us. That's our story. Number two, Jesus is the unexpected stranger who breaks in from the outside. So just as the Samaritan is suddenly in this story and on this road and no one knows why he's there, that's how Jesus came into the world. He breaks in unexpected. Suddenly, wow, there's Jesus. And he's come to save people. He's come to undo the pain that the devil has caused in the world, in people's lives, but also the pain that irresponsible religion has caused in people's lives. Jesus comes to undo all of that, to put it all right. He's the good Samaritan. The Samaritan is given actions here, the pouring of oil and wine, the showing of compassion. All of that is exactly like the story in Ezekiel 16, which is a story that God is about God. God sees someone lying there in pain. He picks them up. He pours oil and wine. He washes. This whole story in Ezekiel 16, that's God's action. Jesus here is giving that action to the Samaritan and thence to himself. So he's saying, I am God. Number three, compassion comes at a cost. So the guy in the story sacrifices his own stuff, his own oil and wine. He gets off the donkey to put this guy on. Yes, so there's a sacrifice. There's a cost. There's a risk. He goes into Jericho. It's dangerous for him. When Jesus came into the world to save us, it was a great cost to himself. Amen? Yeah, the guy gets off his donkey and puts us on the donkey. And with Jesus, the powerful one became weak so that we weak ones might be given power. The rich one became poor so that we poor ones might be made rich. There's a, a wonderful picture of substitution and sacrifice here. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of the cross. If you're here today and you think, that's me, I'm half dead. I'm lying here. I've been beaten up by life. Then the gospel is this. The living one chose death so that we half-dead ones might be given life. That's the story of the cross. Number four, what we see in this story is humanity as a victim. So often, we, we quickly judge people. So maybe you look at the guy beaten up on the floor and you think, well, maybe he made some wrong choices. Maybe he shouldn't have traveled on his own. You know, maybe he should have had some weapons. What was he doing? You know, and you, we so quickly judge people. In this story, there's no guilt. He's just a victim. Life happened. And maybe you feel like that and you think, man, people judge me for 
the debt that I'm in or the fact I'm unemployed or the fact I'm long-term depressed or I struggle with mental illness. And what you need to know is this. There's no blame in it. There's no guilt in it. Life happens, and it's hard. People get beaten up. And the Samaritan here, he doesn't come and judge the guy. He comes and saves the guy. And Jesus said, I haven't come to judge the world. I've come to save the world. He doesn't do a quiz with the guy. You know, are you, are you worthy of being saved? Did you do something wrong? Do you need to tell me about anything you've done? You know, he's just like, I'm just going to help you, man. Number five, this story is about responsibility. And the caricature of the priest is terrible. You know, oh, I'm not going to help you. I'm going to pass on the other side. But actually, so often, can't we be like that? You think, man, if I help someone, what about boundaries? What about my budget or my routine or my personal well-being? You know, how do I... You know, when, when, when we jumped from Turkey and moved back to the UK for a season because my wife had been so ill, I had a pastor friend who I really love and respect say to me, oh, it's nice to see you're finally putting your family first. And I thought about it. I love this guy. I respect him. I thought about it. I thought, no, that's not what we believe, is it? Jesus didn't say, put your family first. Jesus said, put me first. And sometimes we can try and take all the cost out of everything and think, you know, this priest is thinking that, isn't he? If I help this guy, what about my family? I'll have to go back to Jerusalem. What about my personal purity? You think, no, just help the guy. Sometimes we need courage to cut through all the mind games and just step out and show compassion. And then number six, what we learn from this story, we have the most to learn sometimes from the unexpected. So in this story, the hero is a Samaritan. Now, for a Jew, that's terrible. What a terrible story. This is, you know, they killed Jesus for stories like this in the end. This is supposed to be our story, and then this guy breaks in, and he's the hero. We don't like that. And so often, in Christianity, as we walk with God, the things that God does are the completely unexpected things. And if we're not ready, we won't even see them. You know, God's doing something over there. Wow, I was looking this way. And we need to be open to God really breaking our box and doing unexpected things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So we're going to land and pray. And the question is this that I want to ask us this morning. Who are you in this story? Okay, so theory. Okay, our brains have been engaged. Now park your brain for a second. Open up your heart. Harder for the English people I know. Who are you in this story? Are you like the priest? Actually, I want to help. I want to honor God, but I do get all tangled up. I, I think through so many scenarios. What if, and what if I do this, and what if this happens? And it, We can so often overthink things. And he's so concerned about his own story and his own purity and his own family, if you like, that he doesn't even think about the guy. And what this story is supposed to do is take our attention from ourselves and go, just look at him. What about his story? What about his family? What about his purity? What about his life? And so it just gets us off of our ego and onto him. Are you like the priest? Asking the wrong question, what about me? You should be asking, what about him? What about her?
And if that's you, then the picture that I see is like all tied up with strings and, you know, so many questions. And, and, and what the Lord would say to you today is this, be set free, free to love, free to take risks, free to show compassion, free to be led by the Spirit. Would you like that? I saw the scissors of God. It's not a biblical term, but you know what I mean, the scissors of the Lord. Just snipping strings in people's brains, free you from worry and anxiety and overthinking things. Be free to love. Be free to love people in Jesus' name. Maybe you are like the Levite and you think, I'm just a sheep. I'm not an initiative taker. If the priest didn't do it, I'm not going to do it. I'm just a simple Christian. I don't even have a donkey How am I going to help someone? I don't have the resources. I don't have the training or the experience, you know. At least he could show first aid, yeah? At least he could chat and hold the guy's hand. You know, my dad is 86 now. Every Thursday morning, he goes into the hospital where he is, and he just sits and chats to old ladies and holds their hand and gives them cups of tea in the hospital. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just a gentle thing. You think he hasn't got a donkey. He hasn't got lots of energy or lots of time, but there's something he can do that humanizes people. And so what the Lord would say to you, if you think, oh, that's like me, I'm like the Levite, I just, I'm just a sheep. The Lord would say to you, be bold. Just to step up to people, just to show kindness and gentleness and mercy, to notice people, be bold. Have courage to take initiative, amen? Maybe you are like the beaten up guy here today. And you think, I just, life's been brutal to me. This week has been brutal. I don't know what's going on in your family, in your situation. The Lord knows. And what you need to know today is that the compassion of Jesus is here. The good Samaritan is here. Other people might have ignored you and not been able to help. But Jesus is here to help. To show you compassion and kindness. To wash your wounds. To bind you up. To put you on his donkey. To carry you home. Amen. And perhaps you'd like someone to pray for you today or to express the comfort of Jesus. You need to know, you you need to not leave today without knowing that he's here to lift you up and carry you home. And what the Lord would say to you today is this, be comforted. Know the comfort of God. Perhaps in the story you think I'm like the Samaritan. Uh, I've been marginalized. I've been looked down on. People looked at me and thought, you'll never come to anything. Your parents said, hey, you'll never be anything. You've always been like the marginalized person. You always feel out of place. You don't even fit the mold of being a nice, good, clean Christian. I don't know. Jesus makes him the hero in this story. It's good news, eh? And what the Lord would say to you today is, be honored. Don't walk around in shame thinking, oh, I'm just a Samaritan. Jesus makes him the hero here. Know that God has an incredible place for you and your unique mix of gifts and personality in this story. Be honored and be free to love people. And then finally, um, maybe you're like the lawyer who in the beginning of the question was trying to ask Jesus good questions because he thought he was a saver. Yeah, who do I save? How do I save them? Tell me, Jesus, I want to help people. And by the end, he realizes, actually, he's the savee. He's the beaten up guy. He's been asking the wrong question, and he's, he needs Jesus to come and help him. And maybe that's you, and you just think, actually, yeah, I've been proud. And the Lord would say to you today, be humble. Okay? Let's just take a moment to pray.
and then I'll hand to Pete. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. I pray each one of us can make a response today to the word of God. Thank you, Jesus, that you break in, that you come and show us mercy and kindness. A great cost to yourself, a great risk to yourself. We're so grateful for your salvation. And we want to be like you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us and help us in Jesus' name. Amen.